0: We're going to come round now to the word of God before Luke comes to share with us. And I'm going to be reading a a Bible passage together. If you have your Bibles and you want to read along with me, then you can find it in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. If not, the words are going to appear on the screen. It's called, Jesus calls his first disciples. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennarsat, The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, "Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets." When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the boats in the other boat to come out and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. I'm going to invite Luke to to come and I'm going to pray for you and then let you kick off our new sermon series entitled The Best is Yet to Come. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you this morning for Luke, for the way he leads us, for the way he preaches, for the way he shares you with us. So we pray this morning for ourselves as we hear and receive from you today, Lord. Would you speak clearly, we pray. Would we open our hearts would we come to you, Lord, in expectation of what is to come? We give you our time, we still our hearts and our homes this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Well, good morning, everyone, both online and in be able to gather today and let me just say I'm thrilled today to have a room probably our safe capacity of people in it people who are here who we haven't maybe been able to see or be in a room together with for over a year now it's so good to be able Your face today. So great to be able to have our kids work back up and running as well. And I want to encourage you, keep signing up for church. Don't be at home and think, oh, I won't sign up this week because someone else might want to go. If we get to the point where we're hitting capacity every week, we'll look to do something else to make sure we can fit other people in. We'll add a temporary second service to make sure people can come and to gather. It's so good. Even though it's not the same as maybe it once was at this point in time, it's good to be together. I'm going to pray again. I'm going to just commit our hearts to the Lord as we open up scripture together. And uh, let's be open to what God might want to say to us today. Father God, we do thank you and praise you for your words. We thank you, Lord God, for how it challenges us and it encourages us. We thank you, Lord God, for what you have to say to us today. Will you give us ears to hear? Lord, will you soften our hearts where maybe they have grown hard over the past few months because of everything that we've gone through? Would you just once again brew an excited spirit within us for what you have for us? Thank you, Lord God, you're not finished with us. Thank you, Lord God, that your promise is you will. And Lord, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're taking a break for the next few weeks from our Luke series, because as I was thinking and praying about really what the future held for us as a church, I just felt it was right to pause that. We will come back to the second half few weeks' time, but I just felt that as we were standing on the edge of yet another reopening, yet another hope of getting back to some sort of normality, hopefully working towards that day where the whole family can gather once again together to worship God, I just felt it was right for us to take some time just to pause and to remind ourselves who we are as hope and what we stand for. We've been through such an intense period together, haven't we, over the course of the last 13 months or however long it's been? And let's be honest, we've all been scarred in one way or another because of the situation. No one has got through this time unscathed, whether that is extreme loneliness, whether that is hurt and heartache, whether people have uh, rubbed us up the wrong way, I don't know. Whether we've had issues with church. We've all been scarred. And, you know, that will take time to heal. There's no two ways about that. We're going to need some weeks and months when everything is back to normal to heal together. But in the process of healing, I don't believe God wants us to stand still. In the process of healing, I believe God calls us to remember Remember who we are. Remember who he is. Remember what he has called us to do. And remember who it is who has empowered us to live for him. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking together about our vision and values. You'll be hearing words like belonging, believing, serving, impacting, multiplying on numerous occasions over the next few weeks. And my hope and my prayer is that once again, an excitement begins to build within our spirits for who God has called us to be together as his church and what He is calling us to do. And with that in mind, Zoe's already alluded to it, the title of my sermon today is simply this, the best is yet to come. You know, one of the dangers of a season like we have been in, or a season of any kind of trauma, is that we can end up romanticizing about the past. You see it all the time in churches which are at the end of their life and they're dying out and you'll speak to people and they'll say to you, 50 or 60 years ago we had a Sunday school of 100 children and it was amazing and now they're down to six, they're romanticizing about a time where it was good. I wonder if we've done that over this season. Where we haven't been able to gather, where we've been in our homes and we thought to ourselves, do you know what, a year, two years, three years ago, church was wonderful, it was such a great place to be and it was all brilliant, only if we could get back to a time like that. The problem is with that way of thinking is that we find ourselves getting frozen in time and looking back to a time where we believe was the pinnacle of how God used us. But you know, God's not done with us. If that was the pinnacle, we might as well give up and go home now. But the Bible tells us that he will build his church. God's not done with us. The best is yet to come. We thank God for everything that he's done in the past, but actually we're called to look forward to where He is calling us to go in the future. And after saying we're taking a break from the Gospel of Luke today, we're actually revisiting a chapter that we looked at together a few weeks ago. I made the mistake when I put the sermon series together of giving this chapter to Carl Smethurst. And I really, really wanted to preach on that chapter. Why on earth did I do that? So I'm taking the opportunity to revisit this chapter today and to look at it again. Not that Carl did a bad job. Carl did a good job and he challenged us. But I just want to look at this in light of who we are and where we're going and what God is calling us to do. So, as we've heard read today, we get to a point in the Gospel of Luke, in this particular chapter, where Jesus' fame is beginning to spread. Crowds, they're beginning to gather, they're beginning to get around Jesus, many of those people who are gathering around Jesus at this time are not really particularly interested in the things that he is saying, rather they're interested in the things that he is doing. They really want to see what Jesus' next trick is going to be. But nevertheless, whatever the reason, crowds are beginning to gather, and on this particular occasion, there is a crowd which is gathered, and it's a big crowd. They all press in to Jesus. There's no social distancing going on here. And the situation becomes a little bit intense, a little bit volatile perhaps. So to avoid the crush, Jesus steps away and he steps into a boat. Now this boat belonged to a man named Simon. Simon was a fisherman. And not only that, Simon was a fisherman who had come to the end of his night shift that particular day. And then Jesus hops into his boat Just as Simon is sitting there, packing up, washing his nets, thinking it's time to go home. I expect as he's there in his boat that day, he has got all kinds of visions of what is going to come that evening or that day. He's going to go home, he's going to relax, he's going to put his feet up, he's going to have some nice food and forget about work. I wonder if you have ever been there. After a long, hard shift, toiling away at work, it comes to the end of your shift and you clock off and you think to yourself, great, I can go home now, I can relax, I don't have to think about my work any longer, I can put that to one side and come back to it another day. If your experience of this is anything like mine, I'll often finish work of a day But I'll finish work and I'll think to myself, great, I can finally go home now and have some peace and quiet. And I'll walk home and I'll be walking up my street and everything looks fine. I'll get to my front door and there'll be this picturesque environment staring me back in the face. And I'll think to myself, good, it's going to be a good evening. And then I open the door. And as I open the door, it hits me like a wave. Daddy, 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 daddy. Lydia has stolen my toys. Daddy, 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 daddy. Ryan has said this about me. Daddy, 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 play with me. Daddy, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do my music. I don't want to do this. And then I hear those immortal words. Luke, these are your children. You with them, you deal with them. And suddenly I realized that my illusion of a nice, peaceful evening was really just a myth. And in some ways, that's what I believe is going through Simon's heads here. Simon the fisherman and his friends, they've been working, they've been toiling all night. But here's the thing, when they were toiling all night, they caught absolutely nothing. How depressing must that be for a fisherman? So I'd imagine that at this point, he was just worried about getting home Putting his failures behind him and concentrating on what would come on his next shift. But then Jesus turns up and he says, Simon, I've got this great idea. Take me fishing. And you can imagine, can't you, Simon in the boat thinking to himself, You must be kidding me. I'm a fisherman. My dad, he was a fisherman. His dad's was a fisherman. We know these waters. We know the best places to fish. We know the best places to get a catch. And I know the best times to go fishing. We have tried all night long and caught absolutely nothing but okay, Mr. Carl. If you tell us that we should go fishing, let's go. And that's exactly what they do. They go out and they go fishing. I doubt If Peter was really willing or expecting to catch anything that night. He was probably, as they were setting off, preparing his I told you so speech in his head. But then the most incredible thing begins to happen. The boat begins to sway, the nets begin to creak, and as they're pulled out of the water, the sound of flapping which is hitting the surface of the water is almost deafening, so much so that Peter has to cry over to his friends and say, come and help me, our boats are going to sink if you don't. None of them had seen anything like this before. The truth is, the God that we worship, the God that we serve is far bigger, far more powerful, far more awesome than we can ever possibly comprehend. And he loves blowing our minds and expanding our understanding of who he is and what he can do. Jesus uses this miracle to say, hey Peter, if you think that was amazing, if you think that was brilliant, just wait. Do you see what I've got in store for you. You're not going to be a fisherman any longer, Peter. Oh no, just wait and see what I have got planned. Peter, the best is yet to come. And what Jesus said to Peter that day, I believe that he says to us as Hope Baptist Church. Because this season that we have faced, it's very easy to be like Peter in that boat at the beginning of the story, isn't it? Washing our nets, packing up and saying, do you know what? This is too hard. I'm too tired. I'm too burdened. There's been so much going on in my personal life over these last 12 months. It's just time to wash my nets, pack up and go home and think about it another day. Just to sit back and relax. We'll reassess the situation in a few months, maybe, and then we'll see where we go from there, where I believe that Jesus is saying to us as his church, now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to go home. Now is not the time to wash your nets. There is a whole harvest of fish out there waiting for you. Things may look different. You come to church and it may not feel the same as it did 14 months ago, but my plans for the church are still the same. I want to expand your horizons and I want to blow your minds when you see my power at work. Let's go fishing. The best is yet to come. I wonder, church, today, do you believe that? What amazes me about this particular account of Simon Peter is the response that he gave to Jesus on that day. And I believe that if this is really true for us as a church, if the best is, is yet to come for us as a church over the course of the coming weeks and months. We must adopt similar responses to Simon Peter here in this story. How did he respond to Jesus that day? Firstly, what we see is Peter was willing. Despite being an expert in his field, despite knowing the waters of the Sea of Galilee inside and out, knowing the exact best places to fish, despite being extremely perplexed probably at what Jesus was asking him to do, he was still willing to do it. All of his experience and all of his professional training would have been crying out to him that day. This is ridiculous. And you know, Sometimes God will ask us to do things which simply don't make sense to us in order to show us that he is in control. But the good news is, even in those times of senselessness, God always knows what he is doing. There are countless occasions where this happens in the Bible, aren't there? Noah, I want you to build a boat and I want you to house all of the animals. I know there probably hasn't been rain in this land, but Noah, this is what I am calling you to do. Abraham, I want you to leave everything that you have behind. Your family, your wealth, your security. And I want you to go to a land where you don't know. And in the middle of it, Abraham, I'm going to bless the socks off you. Moses, yeah, you, the one who has trouble speaking. I want you to go to Pharaoh, the superpower of the day. And I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. See, being willing to follow Jesus may lead you to go against everything that you know, everything that feels comfortable, everything which has common sense within you. It will never lead you against the Bible. So if you're thinking God is telling you something, always back it up by Scripture. But sometimes it won't make sense to our person. And you know, I love this guy, Peter, to some extent, I can identify with Peter. You see, Peter's just this regular guy. He's an uneducated working class fisherman. I mean, none of the disciples were perfect, but this guy, Peter, seems to mess up a lot, mainly out of his passion. He is so passionate for Jesus that he goes into everything gung ho and then often slips up. But then he gets back up, he comes back to Jesus, he says, Sorry and he goes again. It happens all the time if you think about it throughout the Gospels, doesn't it? When Jesus, for instance, tells the disciples his plan that he has to go to the cross, Peter is the one who pulls him aside and he rebukes him, and in turn he gets rebuked by Jesus. Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's Peter who draws his sword and lops the ear off of a guard in that garden. Peter is the one who said, even if everyone else denies you, Jesus, I'll never deny you only to be stood by a charcoal fire, calling down curses upon himself, declaring, I've never even met the guy. What we see in the life of Peter is something that I call progressive sanctification. In other words, Peter didn't become perfect overnight. He came to Jesus, and over the course of time, Jesus changes him and he transforms him. I don't know about you, but that encourages me a lot. We hear some cracking testimonies in the life of the church, don't we? We hear some cracking testimonies about how people were so messed up and so mixed up, and then God meets with them powerfully, and everything changes. I think of Barry Woodward, who came shortly before our our lockdown and spoke about how he was so entrenched in drugs and crime, but then he met with Jesus, and his life was completely transformed. He was off the drugs, and he starts now becoming an evangelist for Jesus. And you know... Praise God for people who come to Jesus in that way and have those kind of testimonies where they're completely and utterly transformed. But I don't know about you, for me sometimes I can often feel a little bit disillusioned when I hear testimonies like that because that's not been my experience. For me, like Peter, my journey of faith has been much more gradual. I still mess up, I still struggle with the things that I have done for years. I still find myself coming back to God and saying sorry over and over again for the same things. But God is working. I'm not where I used to be. And even though my transformation might be a little bit slower than some, the transformation is still taking place. And here is the good news. It wasn't because Peter was perfect that he was used mightily by Jesus. It was because he was willing. And because of that willingness, Peter is the one who experiences that awesome thing of walking on water. He's the one who had the experience of preaching and seeing over 2,000 people come to know him for themselves. Peter was willing. Because of his obedience, he was the one that Jesus said, you are are not Simon, you are Peter. Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as a result, this ordinary guy who got a lot wrong and messed up time and time again was used by God because he was obedient to the master's call. What is God asking of you today and where do you need to step out in obedience, I wonder? Church, the best is yet to come if we are obedient to the master's voice, even when it doesn't make sense. Don't let this be a time where we pack up our nets and we stop and we go home and we think about something else, because I believe the call of Jesus is let's go fishing. The second thing we see in Peter's response here is that his response was one of humility. In the boat that day, Peter saw a glimpse of who Jesus was. When that miraculous catch of fish came in, he understood that he was in the presence of someone who was so much more than just the who was so much more than just a good teacher. His time in that boat helped him to see Jesus for who he really was, and also to understand his needs for Jesus. And as a result, God was able to use Peter, because he knew that he needed God and not the other way around. So that's an amazing truth, isn't it? God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us for anything. He doesn't even need us to spread the gospel, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to invite us in, to play our part in the story of God. Every single person has a part to play. You know, it's quite easy, isn't it, at times to put Christians and those who are up front, those who maybe lead churches or are missionaries or whatever and think, well, it's easy for them because God's gifted them in a certain way to do a certain thing. But that's not me. I'm just a second class. And as a result of that, when someone stands up the front of a church and says it's time for us to step out, it's time for us to walk in what God has called us to do, we can panic a little bit. And we get worried about what the future might look like. But here's the thing. Paul paints this picture in the book of Christ as a body. Every single one of us having our part to play. Every single one of us having a role within the the church of Jesus Christ. And in fact, what we see in Paul's description of that body is it's those who have the unseen roles who have the higher honor than the ones who are seen. And just like our physical bodies, you see the work of the legs, don't you? It's pretty obvious what the legs do, but you can live without the legs. Take your legs away. It might not be comfortable, but you can live without them. You don't see the work of the heart, but take the heart out of the body and so suddenly the body doesn't function. There is a part for you to play in the story of God. And Peter realises that here in this particular text. That didn't make him insignificant. That he realised that he needed God and not the other way around, but it made him an instrument in God's hands. What is God calling you to? in this stage. The best is yet to come when the people of God respond to God in humility and say, God, I don't know what task you're calling me to. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but here I am. I'm an instrument in your hands. Thank you that I get to be a part of your story. Use me in the ways that you see fit, not just in the ways that I perceive as prominent. The third and final response that we see here in this passage is that Peter leaves everything to follow Jesus. He leaves his fishing business, he leaves his livelihood, he leaves his family, all for the sake of Christ. Peter understood that there is no greater call than the call to follow Jesus. From this point on, Peter ultimately embarks on a three-year internship program with Jesus. You know, I've heard some amazing stories of people who have done exactly the same, who have left everything to follow Jesus, a lucrative job, a home, their money, in order to totally devote themselves to Jesus Christ. Is that what Jesus is calling of you today? Do you have to quit everything that you're currently doing in order to follow Christ? The answer is probably not. But following Jesus does mean being willing to lay down whatever he calls us to lay down and embrace the path that he calls us to. It means being willing to lay down and give up those things which might be contrary to the gospel. Being willing to say, God, here I am, I'm your servant. We can't serve two masters. It means choosing God's and his way over everything else. In other words, it means, as the gospels put it, if anyone desires to come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Christian life is so much more than simply ride out into heaven. That might be where it starts, where we on our knees and we come to Christ and we say, forgive me of my sin. But out of the overflow, out of the love that God has birthed within us, we're called to because he is worthy. And living for Jesus, let me tell you, church, once again, it's fulfilling life that you can ever possibly have. So let me challenge you today, both individually and us as family, as his church, are we today open to his leading? What if God does everything that we know? For the church... That might mean that we lay down our individual ideas of what church is supposed to be, our individual ambitions about how things are supposed to happen and genuinely seek him and say, God, what are you calling us to in this season? Ultimately, let me say this. Plans are good for you and God's plans are good for his church. They're for good and not for evil. To give us a future and a hope. And if that is the case, the real question is why would we want to live any other way? The call for then for the church is not too dissimilar to the call of Peter. Friends, the best truly is yet to come. And today, I want to encourage, as over the next few weeks, as we dig into some of the specifics about what our vision and values look like, to realize that we are called to be fishermen. We are called to be willing to cast our nets, to point people to the true and the living hope. We are called in humility to come before him and say, God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We're called to listen to the master's voice and say it's all about him. You know, I'm blessed to be the pastor of this church. But I also realise that this church didn't start with me and it won't end with me. And the same goes for you as well. So let's be a people who don't push our preferences, but realise in humility we're called to play our part. We are called together as the church for such a time as this. The best is yet to come. God is not finished with this church, with this group of people. In fact, I believe that he's only just getting started. Let's not pack up our nets. Let's not wash and think we'll reassess the situation in a few months. But as Jesus called Peter to do that day, let's go fishing. I'm going to invite the bands to come back up. Let's pray together. Father God, your word always demands a response. And Lord, first and foremost, we acknowledge just how hard this season has been for all of us. We acknowledge, Lord God, that we're all scarred and we're all carrying baggage and burdens as a result of what we've been through. I want to thank you, Lord God, that you are the healer. Your word tells us you are the Lord who heals. So today, King Jesus, we ask for your healing touch upon us, individually and as a church. We ask, Lord God, that you meet with us, Help us see you for who you really are once again. And Lord God, we pray, King Jesus, help us to have a response like Peter when we hear the master's voice. The best is yet to come. May we know that as church. I'm gonna invite those in the room to stand if you're able. can't worship in the room with our voice, but we can worship in the room with our bodies. The Bible exhorts us to lift up holy hands, and let's take this moment to respond to God on our own, and simply ask the question today, God, where are you calling me to go fishing?